next two weeks, we're going to finish up Luke chapter 6. We're in, we're in Luke, and uh, I want to make sure we finish up this chapter before we move on. But did everyone get a, uh, a bulletin when you came in? I'd like to make sure everyone has a bulletin in their hands for this morning. If you didn't, Jim will pass one to you. If you can just raise your hand. I'm sure we have plenty of extras. On the back of it is a, a notes section. It says life notes. We call it life notes because our focus has always been, but we're really doubling down on this and, and working on this emphasis that, that what we learn on Sunday mornings is not just for this time as we're gathered here together. It is for our lives outside of here and that God wants to shape and change our lives. And as we encounter his word, he changes us to look more like him. So I want to share a couple of scriptures that are also on your notes and set us up for, for this time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is alive and active. So every time you're reading from God's Bible, God's word is the Bible. That's, that's uh, his perfect embodiment of the word is Jesus Christ, and, and scripture gives us uh, a lot of that written word. But God's word is alive and active. It's not just a book that was written and that we consume. It is actually something that is living and breathing. And it says in Hebrews 4 that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing, to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's side. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so when we read God's word and when we study God's word and when we're gathered together in a setting like this to, to hear from God's word, the point of it is not to just take some notes and then go home and not change anything, but the point is that God's word is going to do surgery on our souls, on our spirits, on any given time we interact with it, and that as we approach it as though it's something that is alive, as though the, the great surgeon has the scalpel in hand and he's going to come into our soul, our heart, our spirits, our minds, and start carving out those things that shouldn't be there, then we know that every time we encounter God's word, he's gonna be going about that work. Isaiah chapter 55 verse one is a great chapter. If you wanna go read that, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter, but a few verses I wanna share with you this morning says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. I don't know if you grew up in church, but a song probably just came into your mind. You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Anyone remember that? No, I can't get it out of my head. <clears throat> but think of what would, what would happen if we thought of God's word in this way. If we, if we thought of God's word as, as the rain and the snow that falls and it does not return without having watered the earth and making it bud and flourish. How would that change our thinking about God's word as, as, as instead of being knowledge that we want to fill up our minds with, it is actually something that God wants to do something to produce something in us. He, he's using it for something better. And this thing that, that we, should, we should be seeking more than anything else, why, I mean, why would we seek anything else besides God's word? Because seeking the word is how largely we seek the Lord. <coughs> And when we get the right perspective on God's word, God's teaching, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways, he, he sits from a perspective we cannot fathom, wouldn't it make a whole lot of sense to, to gain perspective from the God who sits at a perspective that, that, we, that we don't understand so that when he is making changes or suggesting changes in our lives, when, when he looks at our life and says, hey, this is not as it should be, this is not how I designed it to be, change this and live according to what I say. Should we not look at that and say, your ways are higher than our ways, your thoughts are better than our thoughts, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, this is what I know, but this is what you say, so I'm going to do it. But since this this is how the primary way through which God speaks to us, if you want God to speak to you, the best way for God to speak to you is to read his word. And I often say, you know, a lot of times we want God to speak to us, but we don't know what his voice sounds like. And the way we know what his voice sounds like is by reading his word, listening to his voice. But as we gather together, if, if, our, if we have come as living sacrifices like we've talked, then when we encounter together this morning the word of God, which is, by the way, our only source of truth, There is no truth that exists other than the real truth that God has created. You'll hear me say from time to time what's one of my pet peeves is when people say my truth, and I don't want to offend you if you're here this morning and that's something that is real to you, but but, uh, the only real source of truth is the one who created truth and designed truth. Everything is built on the truth that God established. But when we encounter God's word, the true, absolute source of truth It will change us. It will require us to change. And those changes that God wants to make in us, those changes that God desires to see in our lives, though they may seem difficult and challenging as we approach them, the reality is is that God is doing a greater work in us, changing us from Adam's likeness to Christ's likeness. That, that he's doing a work in us day in and day out to, to decrease the effects of the fallen state that we were born into in Adam and reshape us into the image of Christ and the perfect Son of God. 
So God's Word has that intent about it, that, is, that it is doing something to make us look more like Christ. And so on Sunday mornings when we gather together, it's not just the time to, time to come and do your church thing, which is I know how a lot of us have thought about it over the years. This Sunday morning service has just kind of been our typical religious tradition that we have kept. That is not the intent of our time. The intent of our time is to hear from God's Word and to let God's Word do some surgery on our hearts. So I have two questions that are at the top of your bulletin there that I'd love for you to think about as we go through God's Word this morning. The first one is this, at the very top, what is one thing God is telling me to change as a result of hearing this truth? What is one thing, one thing in my life that God is telling me to change as a result of hearing this truth? And if we're listening to his word, God will, through the work of the Holy Spirit, bring things to mind that he wants to address. Write those down. You don't have to share them with anybody, although what we've talked about last week, the best way we're going to grow through those things is to actually be in a community where we're sharing those things. But Sundays are not enough. What we do on Sunday is not enough. We need to live in community with other believers all the time. But write something down. What is that thing God wants me to change? And, and then throughout the morning, just, just continue asking God to help you change this and to surround you with people who will walk with you as you change. And the next question, this might be really pertinent to some of us, is that if I were going to share these truths with someone else this week, how would I say it to them? So as, as, as we're listening to God's word and as you're hearing me talk and you hear a truth, you hear something that kind of sticks out, you write it down in your own words, rephrase it how you would say it. And, and I would actually love for you to share those with me because I could probably learn something from how you said it that would make me say it clearer in the future. But how could you say what you're learning this morning as though you're going to teach it to someone, as you're going to share it to someone in the week ahead? And just think about that, those two questions as we go through this section of Scripture this morning. 360-818-4399, 360-818-4399, that is a number you can send in your questions and comments to throughout the service this morning. I'll do my best to work them in. I'd love for this to continue to be more of a discussion and less of a speech. So if you have questions as we go through these verses, feel free to, uh, to throw them out there, and I'll do my best to answer them as we go through the service this morning. But thinking from those two questions, what is one thing God is telling me to change as a result of hearing this truth? And if I were going to share these truths with someone else this week, how would I say it to them? Let's dig in to God's Word. We're in the middle of Luke chapter 6. And we've started covering what is essentially Jesus' manifesto. This is Jesus', Jesus teaching that, that establishes the foundation for his ministry. This is, this is the thing that, that, is, that is setting the standard for what it means to be one of Jesus' followers. And so we started off with the blessings and the woes, and we spent quite a bit of time on that. A couple weeks ago, we talked about what it means to love your enemies, and there on the back is the table with the blank picture frame, and we talked about framing up your enemies. Would you, would you hang the picture of one of your enemies on the wall in your house? And love in the kingdom of God means we're supposed to love our enemies. We don't hate our enemies because hate is not an attribute in the kingdom. Love is the primary attribute in the kingdom of God, and so we are supposed to be 
people of love. In fact, we're supposed to be becoming love like God is love and Christ is love. And then there was that teaching in there that said, do to others what you would have them do to you. And this was a turn of a common teaching where the common teaching was don't do to others those things that you don't want them to do to you. But Jesus turned it upside down and he said, do to others what you would want them to do to you. So instead of being reactive, you're supposed to be proactively good. You're supposed to be proactively loving, proactively merciful as one of his followers. This is what love is like in the kingdom of God. This is what defines us in the kingdom. Now, we're going to get into Luke chapter 6, verse 37. But before we do, I want to play dress up. Anyone have daughters? Is the point in the right place? Yeah. You ever play uh, dress up? You ever been a princess, Stefan? Ever been a pretty, pretty princess? Um. So uh, I asked if, if we had a tiara, so I thought we kind of got the, they, they brought this as well, the crown and the tiara. This fits a little bit better. I don't think this is going to fit without breaking it. What do you think? Yeah. Does it look good? I'm totally altering your opinion of me right now, aren't I? <laughs> I don't know if I can listen to anything this guy says. Well, um, if you've watched any movies, this one feels a little bit better, so I'm going to put it on instead. You know, kind of about medieval times, you know, you know that princes and princesses kind of had a garb that they wore, right? Kings had attire. This would be, this would be true in Jesus' day, too, that, 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 that royalty looked a certain way, and that you would be able to, as you saw a prince or a princess or a king or a queen coming, you would be able to tell by their appearance from afar off, by, by what was surrounding them, by the people that were traveling with them and the style in which they were traveling, you'd be able to tell from a far off distance that it was some kind of royalty that was approaching. They, they had a caravan that they would travel with and, and would go with lots of different people. And so from a far off land, you would be able to see who was royalty and who was not. Well, I think a big part of what we're talking about and, and Jesus establishing this is, is the look of someone who is in his kingdom. But instead of attire, instead of external appearances denoting who we are in the kingdom of God, Jesus is talking about our internal character and our internal nature. But if you look at these things as how they apply to love in the kingdom of God and how we ought to love one another as those in God's kingdom, then these are some of the markers that should identify us as people of God's kingdom. And so loving your enemies would be a good example of that. Outside of God's kingdom, it is common and probably lauded to hate your enemies. Your enemies are evil, right? Your enemies deserve to be condemned. But Jesus says, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. And Jesus says, do to others what you would have them do to you. And he's going to get into more specifics now in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. He says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's interesting, they use the word plank, but as you look up the definition of the word, it's actually talking about timbers as though the beams that hold up the structures of a building. So this is what Jesus is saying we have in our own eyes, and we need to remove these from our eyes before we go picking at the specks in others' eyes. So as you look at this, now think, okay, this is this is the inner clothing, this is the internal clothing that we as followers of Jesus Christ are supposed to be putting on day in and day out. We can ask ourselves, okay, would this describe me? Is this who I am? Am I someone who doesn't judge? Am I someone who doesn't condemn? Am I someone who is quick to forgive? Am I someone who gives generously? What do all these words mean? Let's, let's define them really quick. Judge means to cut oneself off from someone so that they cease to be reached out to. That's how Jesus was most likely referring to the idea of judging. He himself did make some judgments about where people stand. You can see that in Luke chapter 11, if you want to go read that, verse 37 through 54. But he didn't make his judgments in such a way that he ceased to continue to offer them God's grace. So if he made a judgment, he did not make a judgment that ended in a severing of the relationship. He made a judgment with the intent of drawing them into the right relationship with himself and with the Father. So judging is cutting yourself off from someone so that they cease to be able to reach out to you. Condemning is to pronounce them guilty. You make a judgment, you cut them off, and then you condemn them. They're guilty, and they deserve to be punished. It's interesting that he goes right to forgiveness, isn't it? That instead of talking about, you know, maybe three steps how not to judge people or three steps how to, how to stop from condemning people, he just goes right to forgiveness. His, his answer, I would probably guess, would be forgiveness and giving, Forgiveness seems to have some confusion to it, so maybe we should define that term. Forgiving is like pardoning. It's, it's setting someone free. It's canceling the debt. So think, the easiest way to think of it is if, you've, if you have a debt that you need to... Someone just texted. Let me see if I can get, get some context here. It says, do, not, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. That's a good question. Uh, Psalm 139 is where that is from. And um, yes, someone else also just texted in a picture of me wearing this crown. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, do you not hate those who, who hate me? That would be a, a good discussion to have with Jim or Rob. <laughs> no, I, I think probably what's going on in that, in that text is that, is that David was... Uh, and I think that was David that wrote that. I would have to go look at it. But 
uh, David was very honest, and a lot of his psalms contain a lot of kind of gut-level honesty that, uh, that we all probably feel, and that as, we go th- as you read through the psalm, oftentimes you will see him express these feelings that seem unbiblical in nature and seem counter to what the Bible teaches, and then see him come back around to God's love and God's grace and respond at the end of the psalm in a way that God would have him respond. Not always. Some of the psalms are just the pain that he's experiencing and how he's feeling about it, and he's just sharing that. And uh, does that mean we have to, I think we have to read all of the psalms in the proper context and how they apply to our lives. I don't know, Jim, do you have any other thoughts on that? Thank you, Jim. Jim has a wealth of knowledge there. You really ought to talk to him more, probably. Just saying. But uh, someone else also just texted, we, have, we now have Jesus to set the record straight about God's love. We have the perfect example of what love is supposed to be. And Jesus sharing these words is setting the perfect example and telling us how to live. But forgiveness seems to be something we struggle with. It means to literally cancel the debt. And I, I, I will explain it this way. If somebody has wronged you, then, then whatever you feel like the debt is they owe you for the wrong that they have committed, a great practice is just write it down, write it on a piece of paper, and then cancel it. Maybe write canceled or paid in full over it and marker and destroy it, to destroy the records of it, that that has been forgiven, that debt has been forgiven, and you are setting them free from having to repay that debt to you. That is what forgiveness is. Now, we're not talking about trust that's, and, and relationships and all of that stuff, but, but forgiveness, when we don't forgive, what it shows is that we don't understand the gift of forgiveness that we have received because all of the things that have been done to us don't compare at all to the ways we have rebelled against our own creator and maker. And if we don't understand how much we have been forgiven, which shows itself in that we are not forgiving others, then, then we don't really grasp and understand God's gift of grace that he has given to us. And that's why Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. And in the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive in the same way you will be forgiven in the same way that you forgive others. Forgiveness is a hard time, is a, is a big thing that we're supposed to be doing in the kingdom of God. Someone just asked, how can we maintain boundaries while also being loving? That's a good question. Well, if you want to look at it as, as in the kingdom's perspective, um, I think we, we probably feel the need to create more boundaries than, than uh, Jesus would have us create, that Jesus would probably have us living in deeper community than we've allowed ourselves to live in up until this point. And so there may be some things that, that, uh, that we would say we need to have boundaries in this area, but actually God would say, no, I want you to, to, to open up your lives in a little bit grander way. But at the same time, should we not be concerned about, you know, time and those kinds of things? For one, it depends on, you know, probably I would say 
the level of faith and relationship you have with Jesus would determine a lot of this. Um, should we have boundaries? I honestly don't know if we should have boundaries, if you want my honest opinion. But uh, if, we, if we should have boundaries, they should be set so that, so that we are not uh, depleting ourselves entirely, which if we're walking with Christ, we should not be completely depleted. But if we're not uh, careful, we can easily just spend our lives pouring ourselves out and never putting anything back in or receiving from God, so it can be easy to feel spent. I have been there. I was there a year and a half ago, like we talked about last Sunday, where I was feeling like a drink offering that had been poured out. But uh, there are probably some toxic people that will take advantage of you, and um, if you want to talk about that after church, I'd love to talk about that, because love is not just... um, grace and doing things, you know, that, that we think love is, but there's also a lot of truth in love and being in a relationship with someone and sharing God's truth in a loving relationship and saying, hey, you know what? You're kind of expecting too much from me and not doing enough for yourself. That would be a very loving thing to say in a good relationship, and so uh, that would be a conversation I'd love to have with you as well. Forgiveness. So, do you have anyone you haven't forgiven? then we need to forgive them. And then he goes to give. Give and it will be given unto you. And then this is the one that Luke cho- chooses to add a little bit more to. It says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So he's talking about grain, and if you take a cup of grain, right, and you just kind of fill it up, then there's a lot of space still in there. And so he's, you take that cup of grain, and once you pour it in there, you shake it around, and let the grain settle down. And once the, the grain settles down a little bit where there's a little more space on the top, and so then you take some more grain and fill it back up. So if you're buying grain and you were buying one cup of grain, you would want to have bought it from somebody who used that method so that you're getting a full cup of grain instead of three-fourths of a cup. And so he's saying this is how we're supposed to give. We're supposed to give in a way where we are ensuring that everyone gets the fullest amount of what we are giving to them. Generosity. And then he says, basically, the level of generosity we use will be the generosity that we receive. The the level of giving that we give will be the level that we receive. And some of us have a struggle with giving because we think it is our resources, it is our tool, it is our food, it is our this and that, but we don't understand. God has given us these things and blessed us with these things. And so if he gave them to us, he can give us more if we give them to others. Someone says, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Some relationships are not, are not healthy enough to reconcile, but that doesn't change the fact. That doesn't change us forgiving, right? Yeah, thank you. So giving, are we, are we giving and maybe are we giving in the right way? Maybe some of us feel like we're giving and we're being generous, but we're kind of holding some back for ourselves. These are four characteristics that, that, that denote you as, as a prince or princess in the kingdom of God. So if we live our lives by this way, where we're not judgmental, we're not condemning people, and we are abundantly forgiving and abundantly giving and generous, then, then this would be some of the characteristics that, that denote us as ki- the kingdom of God. These, by the way, are also all things that Jesus would do for us and receive in the place of what we should be receiving. For instance, he would be judged, and Jesus would be condemned to die a cruel death on the cross. Jesus would not receive forgiveness for the crimes he didn't commit, 
but he would give his life to pay for our forgiveness. And in fact, the same word that Luke uses here, forgive, is the word that Jesus uses on the cross for when he gives up his spirit. Jesus did all of this in the example he set for us. This is how we're supposed to look. Jesus was radical in his life and in his love. If we looked at our life, would we be able to define it as radical, or would we just kind of say, ah, oh, we, we kind of see a few, few hints here and there of kingdom living? I love this phrase here in this parable, verse 39. It says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Can the blind lead the blind? He's probably most likely talking about the Pharisees and that their, their understanding of what is going on is not completely revealed. They don't have the full understanding, but, but are you following them or are you following the truth, which is who he was? And if you're following someone who is blind, won't they lead you into a pit? Won't you end up falling? And I think we have to ask ourselves a question is, who has influence in our lives? Who is it in our lives that actually has the most influence? We need to be very careful about who we follow. Right now, if you were to be honest, you don't have to shout these out, but, but who would you say has the most influence in your life? If you were to just look at the time and the time that you spend with people or consuming different things, who would or what would have the most influence. Andy Stanley has this quote that I've used many times in my ministry. He says, your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. The people we are associating with influence us and affect us for the good or for the bad. Are we becoming like those we are spending with? Are they, are they good people or should we maybe find some new influence? And when we're in relationships with people, we don't even necessarily think of it in terms of someone that we're following, right? When we're, when we're in a community, when we're in relationships and we're just enjoying fellowship with other people, we don't necessarily think that we're following someone, but, but because they have influence in our lives based on the relationship that we have together, we are following them, we are following one another, and they affect the decisions that we all make. So, so who has the most influence in your eye? in your life. I'm going to start pulling these all together here in just a second. It says, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Deal with your own sin and your own hypocrisy instead of pointing out others. What are the areas in my own life where, where I, I'm not living like God wants me to live, and what, what is it that God wants to do in my life today to deal with those things instead of focusing on judging and condemning others around me? Maybe I should just focus on, on the things that God is revealing to me right now in this moment so that I'm living more like Him. And if we're in relationships with people who have this mindset, with this with this same kind of thinking, if we are all living with, with a community, in a community, built together in relationships with other people who have this, I'm gonna deal with my plank first. Hey, will you help me deal with my plank? I have this, I have this big beam that I just can't seem to get a grasp on. 
And I've been pulling on it. Will you, will you help pull on it with me? Will you help get this out of my eye? And then you'll see clearly to help your brother. See, sin has a way of distorting our vision about everything in life. Sin has a way of, of coming in and giving us glasses and filtering everything we see in the world. And when we're looking through the eyes of our own sin, we're looking through selfish lenses that only pertain to how we want to get what we want out of life. And, and if we have the wrong influences, we might find ourselves surrounded by the influence of a lot of people who have the same lens and the same filter, and we do end up in toxic relationships and toxic environments because we are in a group of people who are all looking to suck things out of the others in their relationships instead of dealing and, and letting God change them and living a giving, selfless life. Influence is a big deal. So I think there's two kind of key aspects here in, in this kingdom of God thinking as we start to make a turn here in the next few verses. We'll be turning away from this summary of some of Jesus' teaching. But it's about following and it's about fellowship. What, who are we following and what fellowship are we keeping? This is the kingdom of God. It's about following God, exalting God, making much of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, and then the fellowship that we're keeping. Are we in the fellowship of people who have a like mind? If it's true that we actually become like the people that we're following, if we become like our community, and in the same manner, if people that we are in community with become like us, people that follow us become like us, should we not carefully observe our communities and our influences in our lives? In fact, probably some of you know this firsthand is that, that you can come to church on a Sunday and you can feel all riled up and, and empowered to go out and live for Christ in a certain way, but, but you get outside of church and you go back into a community that does not think the same way, and all of that desire and passion that you had to live for and like Christ is gone because of the influence of the community that you're in. So he says, do not judge, do not condemn, forgive and give. Do you find yourself being pretty judgmental these days? Are you feeling really judgmental? The first place we should probably turn would be to our community, our influences. Are we around people who are exhibiting that in our lives? Are we around people who are being judgmental? And in the same manner, we need to ask ourselves the question, we need to deal with the plank in our own eye, are we being judgmental with those we are in community with? Are we being judgmental with those who follow us or are in a relationship with us? If we are, we're probably feeding the wrong thing. How about condemning? Are, are, are we struggling with condemning others? Are we want to wanting to pronounce people guilty? Is that the first place we go when we see somebody who has committed a crime or someone who has done something awful and egregious? That, that the first place we go is guilty, lock them up. Or when someone wrongs us, is it we want to get justice, we want revenge, we want things set right. If we find ourselves jumping to those conclusions, it is most likely because of the fellowship that we're keeping. Are we following or are we in fellowship with those who are condemning others and likewise dealing with the plank in our own eyes? Are we condemning people? And are those people around us 
who are being influenced by our condemning of people. Let's keep going on. Forgiveness. Are there people in your life that you're struggling to forgive? How do we gain perspective on forgiveness? How can we gain a greater understanding of forgiveness? If, if we're struggling with forgiveness, then, then, well, we're probably around people who don't forgive, or we're under the influence of people who don't forgive, and they think that we ought to seek harsh justice. And so we may have so much influence in our lives against forgiveness that, that we don't even understand how much it is pulling us in the direction of harsh justice. But when you find yourself in a life-giving community like the body of Christ, like the kingdom of God, and you are surrounded by people who all understand the gravity of grace and the gravity of the grace that they have received, what you will start to see is that, wow, I I have a a real big perspective now on forgiveness. It's it's not just this this shallow little thing where I have to forgive a debt, but instead it's, wow, God has been greatly generous in the forgiveness that he has poured out on me. I see it not only in my life, but in the life of the community that I'm a part of, and I cannot believe how gracious God is with forgiveness, and because of the influence of the believers and the body of Christ, I feel like I need to be more forgiving with people. God, will you help me be more forgiving? Friend, neighbor, will you help me be more forgiving? And give. There's a lot of influence against this one in our society this day. There's a lot of thinking that has permeated our culture where it's, I'm just going to get mine. We've talked about this quite a bit here that we think the the purpose of all of life is to accumulate things for ourselves. And we all, myself included, fall into this trap all of the time where we just just wanna gather as much stuff for ourselves as we can. And we don't realize that the reason we have the ability to gather all of the stuff is because God has blessed us. God decided for us to be here where we are today. He could have chosen to put us anywhere in the world, and he put us here right where we are at this moment. And and he put us here on purpose, and he gave us a reason to exist within this community, within this fellowship, within this world that we live in. And the purpose is not so that we can gather all of the stuff that we want for ourselves so that we can gain all of the things that we wish we had, but instead is that he is resourcing with us so that we can be generous people who exhibit the generosity of God's grace and God's love to an unbelieving world. Do we find ourselves struggling with giving and generosity? If so, we're probably under the influence of those who think otherwise, might find ourselves following and fellowshipping with ungenerous people. And this is a hard one. We need to ask ourselves this question. Are we being generous? Am I being generous? Am I being generous to those who are in fellowship and relationship with me in the body of Christ? Am I being generous to those outside the body of Christ? Am I living a life of giving so that those who see me in the kingdom of God are drawn into God's generosity? Can the blind lead the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? Who has the most influence in your life?
Have we as a church here sitting in this room right now, right this moment, not, not some other organization, not some other group of people, but we sitting in here right now, have we intentionally created and sought out Christ-like influences in all of our lives? Have we intentionally gone out to find Christ-like influence in all the areas of our life? In fact, if you were to right now in this moment do an influence audit, if you were to look into and take into account all the various sources of influence in your life, how big of a percentage would Christ-like influences get? So think of all the different influences, right? There's TV, there's social media, there's news, there's the internet news, there's fake news, there's friends, there's family, there's coworkers, there's neighbors, there's all the hangout spots, there's all the hobbies and recreation and sports and all of the fun things that, that exist in our world today. If we, if we were to look at all of these different sources of influence in our life, how big a percentage would Christ-like influences have in our lives? Now, you might hear me say, inferring in that, that, well, he just wants us to quit everything and go to church. First, we do want you to be involved and engaged in Christ-like community. That is of utmost importance. But is the Christ-like influence of the kingdom of God at the hub of everything that exists in your life? Is Christ-like kingdom of God influence at the center of everything in your life so that all of these other things, the friends, the family, the coworkers, the neighbors, the hobbies, the sports, all of these things, they have a role to play in our lives. They're not things that we're just supposed to walk away from because God has also placed us in a lot of these so that we can shine and live lights of kingdom, lives of kingdom life in front of non-believers that they might see the manner in which we live our lives and see the royalty of the kingdom of God affecting us. But, but is, is it Christ-like influence at the hub, at the center of it all? Is it, is it a Christ-like influence that, that's helping us see all of these things in the proper perspective? That, that, yeah, we might play in sports, and those are great things for us to go do, but do we see it in, in the light of God's kingdom and the role God wants us to play in living out the life of God's kingdom in that environment? Or, or when we're out doing recreation or we're building relationships with coworkers, do we see it as, as something that, that needs to be driven by the hub of Christ-centered thinking and Christ-centered living, and that gives us our perspective on how we pursue and develop relationships with our co-workers and our neighbors and our family members. See, is Jesus driving our pursuit and attitude towards all these things, or do these things influence our pursuit of God? Is Jesus driving our pursuit and attitude toward all these things, or do these things influence our pursuit of God? I think probably by and large, myself included, we probably fall in the category of allowing these things to influence our pursuit of God. Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive and give. This is Jesus' manifesto. This is some of the air marks of the kingdom of God. In fact, this would probably be the air marks of the princes and princes of the kingdom of God. 
That's who you are, by the way. When you come into Christ, you receive this new identity in Christ. You receive this blessing and this gift. You're, you're a child of God. You're a child of the King, and he's reshaping you into the image of Christ like we just talked about. He's, he's working out all of those things, and he wants to take his truth that he's been teaching us and, and start carving away all these pieces and aspects of our life that don't have anything to do with him, and he's working at cutting those out, and, and that's why we need to give the influence of the kingdom of God so much a greater thing. But, but the reason this is so important is because this is who we are. Right? This is our identity that we have received as a gift, as God's gracious gift that he has poured out on our lives because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross and resurrecting from the dead, that he is now covering us in his own righteousness and that, that we are seen now through the righteousness of Christ. And so we are princes and princes. Literally, you are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. That is your identity. That is who you are. You're a child of the king. You have a seat at the table at the feast of all eternity that, that, will, that encompasses being in the presence of the almighty God, our heavenly father. That is, that is what you are in the kingdom of God. You are a prince and a princess. And Jesus is saying this is what a prince and a princess in the kingdom of God does and looks like. This is the life that, that a prince in my kingdom lives. This is the life that a princess in my kingdom lives. And Jesus wants you and me to be instantly recognizable as those who are part of the kingdom. He wants people to be able to look at our lives from afar and be able to say, hey, that, those must be, that must be a kingdom of God person. That must be a Jesus person. That must be someone who has received this thing that I don't understand because, man, they act us so much different than everyone else around And it's not an individual pursuit, it is a community pursuit that, that we surround ourselves with the influence of the kingdom of God and as we surround ourselves with influences that are kingdom-minded and Christ-centered and Christ-focused, that we just naturally start to live more and more this kind of life because this is the influence that we've surrounded ourselves with. This is who is around us. And, and when we put all of our time into a barrel, what is the, what is the percentage we're pulling out? have 168 hours a week, how many hours are spent in Christ-like fellowship and community and influence? See, one of the reasons we're making some of these changes that we're making as a church is because the truth is this is never going to be enough. What we have right here is great, and I love it, and it's, you know, it's an awesome part of our community and our family life, our kingdom life. But there's no way we can accomplish in this small little glimpse that we have on a Sunday morning all that needs to be accomplished for us to go out and live kingdom lives outside of this place. We don't need more churches and we don't even need more church services. I suppose we could have a church service every day, but you'll have to find a new pastor if we're going to do that. What we need is the influence of Christ-like kingdom community around us in our lives, and it becomes the hub which defines all the spokes of the wheel. So we don't need more churches. We need more Christians living like princes and princesses. How have you lived this week? Would people be able to look at your life and instantly know that's a kingdom person.
That's a Jesus person. That is, that's one of those weird Christian people. And if we're struggling with that, we probably need to evaluate all the different sources of influence we have in our lives and see where there's too much of the world and the world's thinking getting into our thinking and start letting the Holy Spirit do its work through the word of truth and coming in and carving out sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating and dividing the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow, cutting through all of the junk in our lives and just carefully carving out all of the things here and there so that, so that now our lives are, are rid of all of the things that keep us looking like Adam and not like Christ and just let God go in and do some surgery through his word and constant pursuit of his word and fellowship and worship and community and, and just let him just go in and just cut those things out and, and put them aside and fill it back up with his love. That's what we want to be as a church. That's who we want to be. We want to be living in that kind of fellowship, that kind of community where, where this isn't just a religious obligation and a duty we attend on a Sunday morning, but our participation in the kingdom of God connected here in this body and in this church actually filters and defines everything in our life. It's not that I want to be that influence, but we want Christ to be that influence in your life. We want Christ to work through the influence of the Holy Spirit-filled community here at 6A Church and to fill us to overflowing with the love of God so that as God gradually rises up and flows up within us, it flows out on the world around us, and we are defined by our love. That's what we want to be as a church. How are we doing? How are we doing at loving one another in this way? How are we doing at being the kingdom of God like this? To be honest, we've got some work to do. But to be honest, I'm filled with a whole lot of hope because there's a lot of joy where we're headed. God is doing good things. Let's stand together. Just ask if you would, bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to pray for us this morning. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I've been doing it all on my own. I have been the lone ranger off doing my own thing. I've been trying to pursue God on my own, and it's not working out so well. It's time for a change. I need to... Uh, I need to get some more Christ-like influence in my life. There are some things I need to cut out. There are some influences that are affecting me in negative and bad ways that need to go. If you're here this morning and you say, that's me, we just raise your hand. Yeah. You put your hands down. Someone just asked, what would it look like if Jesus did a ride-along with you this week? If you're here this morning, you think, oh, I'm kind of doing okay, but you know what, I, I love Jesus, and I've been following Jesus, but I just don't have a whole lot of Christian community around me, and I'm kind of getting drained, I'm kind of getting tired, and I just need some more, some more Christian community, some more Christian influence outside of church on Sunday mornings. If that's you, would you raise your hands? Yeah, you can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that, that you have established the foundations of this earth on your truth. I thank you that this morning what has been shared, what has been spoken to us from the, from the gospel according to Luke is not 
my words or my ideas, but these are your foundational eternal truths on which the foundations of this earth were laid. I thank you that, that, that if, we, if we look at these in the right light and we see them, everything does fall into place. This is how you designed the world to operate and how you designed it to function, and it's only because of the fall and our own rebellion against you that the world isn't working this way, and that if we see you as the great surgeon, the heart surgeon that, that comes into our lives and wants to carve out all of the leftovers of Adam that are in us and replace them with Christ, that, that you have a work that you want to do in us that is far greater than our selfish pursuits and desires. Father, for those of us here who would say, yeah, I'm under, I'm under the influence of the world, I'm under the influence of, of a lot of unhealthy sources, things that are pulling me away from kingdom thinking and, and into selfishness. For those who have found themselves struggling with that in this last week, I pray, Father, that you would give them the right perspective and the right glasses. I pray that you would help them to be able to see all of the different things in their lives and the right light and be able to make an evaluation, an honest evaluation, one that does not lead to judgment and condemnation, but to just be able to say, this isn't good for me right now. I need to replace it with something kingdom-minded. And Father, I pray not only would you give them the glasses to be able to see the influences in their lives in that way, but that you would also give them the courage to be able to make the change. I pray, Father, for those who, who feel like they're doing good in their walk with you, but they just need some more Christian community. I pray that you would give them not only those believers that surround them and come alongside them and that want to walk this walk with them and this Christian kingdom life with them, but I pray, Father, that you would give them courage as well to not just sit back and wait for it to come to them, but to go out and intentionally seek it and pursue the kingdom that they would, that we all would here at 6A Church seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Father, let us be kingdom seekers. Let us be a church of people who are intentionally seeking out the kingdom of God because we want to live like princes and princes, princesses of that kingdom. Bring to heart, to mind, anything that is keeping us from living that life, and I pray, Father, in these few moments ahead that you would help us to lay it down on the altar once and for all, sacrifice it, leave it there, and to let you resurrect us, to raise us from the death we were living in to a new life in Christ in that area. In Jesus' name, amen.